This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Stephen, so here we are, early August, and uh, yeah, so people will be back from their sheep trips already and uh, have some sheep meat in the freezer. I've, uh, I've, I've seen posts from people getting in-reach messages. That's I, I know of at least one doubleheader that's that's uh, taken place. So there's some sheep dropping, I imagine, yeah. what, we day three, day four into the season by now, and there's, there's going to be people waiting for for rides as we speak to come back out so curious to see what's going to happen this year hopefully uh the education side we pushed out uh has well to be blunt educated people to slow down on that trigger pull right uh take that extra time you need to ensure that it's the 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 best sheep to harvest a legal sheep and the best one to to remove right it's it's not always about dropping one it's it's about what what the herd can handle. So we've we've preached on our soapbox a lot about this, but I, I think we need to keep doing it until we start seeing the the tide of results going in the other way. So just be curious to see what happens. Yeah, for our listeners, thanks for your patience. <laughs> we we did belabor the issue, um, but uh, yeah, it's an important mm-hmm. issue. And again, we wouldn't be doing it if we if we didn't weren't concerned about it right um that's the thing is the, the government biologists have talked to us about this and they've said listen if if you don't if we don't do things differently as us as the consumptive user aka sheep hunters they, they'll have to do something and whenever the government does something you don't like it so <laughs> um you know they're, they're kind of giving us the warning so we're passing that message on to our members our listeners um so hey thanks everyone for humoring us uh, putting up, uh, listening to our to us, but it's just an important message that we needed to get out there. So we know that it's going to go one of two ways. One, it's going to go leh, and people are going to scream and yell that it's gone leh, or it's going to be closed completely, and we know what's going to happen there. And this, the sad part is, is it's one hundred percent preventable. It really is. So <sighs> off the soapbox a little bit there. Off the soapbox, yeah, that's enough. So. Um, Stone Glacier raffles just about sold out. Handful of tickets left. So if you're going to get them, we're going to draw it this weekend at Jurassic. So get your tickets now because they're, 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 we are going to sell this thing out for sure. Yeah. We, we've we sold everyone out for the last uh, last year. This will be no exception. We just got a handful. Yeah, I, I buy tickets for every raffle. And the one I, outside of the hunts, the one I want to win all the time is the Stone Glacier style, right? It's everything you need to get up the mountain and more. So... Yeah, bag. It's a bag, tent, pack, everything. So, Um, okay. So, on this one, we uh, talked to Greg Rensmeg. Greg is a director with the Wild Sheep Society BC, and he's also on the executive committee. He's the secretary for the society, um, does a ton of heavy lifting for Wild Sheep BC, as you'll hear. Um, And there's a ton of great work he does. Um, He's uh, government engagement chair, uh, heads up our sheep counts. The list goes on and on and on. Uh, but Greg's one of those guys that gets shit done. You know, when Greg's asked to do something, he's going to take care of it. So uh, certainly a pleasure having him on our board of directors. Uh, I'm grateful that I get to work with Greg on a weekly, uh, if not daily basis. And uh, just a great chat with Greg to hear the uh, what makes Greg tick. And 
Um, he's a quiet, humble guy, but it's always fun to listen to his perspective and it's always enlightening. So. Yeah. And he's a hell of a guy to hunt with. We, we as you, you'll hear about a little bit in the episode, we did a fly in hunt last year, uh, me and some of the Renz mags and absolute blast guys and app is a riot and yeah, just humble, funny as hell and great storyteller. So with that, we're off to episode 86 with Greg Rensmeg. The perception of hunting, you know, ha has changed. It's our duty now, our responsibility as hunters to change it back. We've spent the last few decades trying, you know, espousing that, that message, preaching that message about wildlife conservation. You know, we've, it's fallen on deaf ears, all of our attempts. I think what, what we have to do is, is maybe uh, appeal to the emotional side or the visceral side. We have to tell our story. We know what we are. We know how deeply we care about wildlife. It's just the people out there that are, that are you know, voting to get rid of hunting, they don't understand our stories. Sometimes we, we have to translate it to something that they understand. Gentlemen, here we are. I use that. You should use that term very, very loosely when you refer to us as gentlemen, hey? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Greg, it's awesome to have you on the show. Um, it's kind of behind the scenes to talk to the sheep because uh, you're the guy that's uh, your Instagram guy. You got you're busy with that and doing a great job and killing it, by the way. So, give us a little love over there. But you're Greg's the Greg's the guy behind uh, behind the mask on Talk of Sheep for Instagram. But I think you do a little bit more than that for wild sheep. So um, who are you? Where are you from? Um, tell us everything we need to know about Greg Rensmeg. Oh, that's loaded. Um, so, <laughs> uh, from the lower mainland, uh, Maple Ridge here in BC. Um, yeah, just lifelong into the outdoors. Uh, born, born and raised into it. And, you know, it's, it's always been a, a take until the past few years and someone on the other side of the screen here convinced me to head on up to the show in Kamloops for the society. I quickly joined the society, then uh, grabbed a life membership right away. I knew these were the, the people I wanted to be a part of, volunteered where I could, quickly got sucked into the sheep world. Holy, wasn't expecting that rabbit hole of a a world to be sucked into. There's no escape now either. Just <laughs> and then um, I want to say two two years ago, joined the board. After a year on the board, became the secretary, and here I am on my second term as secretary. Is your your note taker behind the scenes? Well, we uh, we sure appreciate it. It's funny. Uh, our uh, vice president Chris Barker always says it's. Uh, like the hotel California, you can check in, but you can never check out, right? So it's just, uh, or the mob, once you're in, you're never leaving, right? We'll never, the only way you're going to get out is if you die. So, oh, there's uh, serious truth to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's pretty cool. And, and uh, you know, you've, you've risen through the ranks quickly. You know, you said you've been on the board for a couple of years, but uh, you're you're serving as secretary and 
uh, got a lot of uh, extra responsibilities. And, you know, it's one of those things where the not-for-profit, there's a ton of work to be done. And some people find their stride and they get right after it. And then other people, you know, struggle a little bit. They want to be part of it. But uh, you're one of the guys that has been part of the uh, solution right from the get-go and just done a ton of work. And it's been fun to watch your, you know, your your evolution and your, I guess, your climb to climb to responsibility within the organization. It's pretty awesome, buddy. Well, thanks for the, the kind words. Yeah, it's it's been a ride, to say the least. Seem to have my hand in many of the cookie jars behind the scenes. Um, every every committee. <laughs> I, I think the Hunter Heritage is the only one I'm not sitting on right now. And maybe fun. Nope, I'm on, partially on fundraising sometimes. I don't think I'm officially on it, but I'm there. <laughs> no, you're on it. Yeah. <laughs> you're on it. You're definitely on are, it. Are you, are you, are you so, hitting at something with the Hunter Heritage there? Well, maybe one day. <laughs> I have to offload another committee, maybe. So, but you grew up hunting, right? That your your dad was a hunter. You grew up with with it, uh, like a, you were. You're not an adult onset guy, are you? Or what's the deal there? No. So, our family growing up was our tenth birthday was the birthday to have. So, I got to watch my brother turn ten, get his first rifle get his hunting license start going out with dad like we had the odd day trip we would go on but there was no no serious hunting until we we're 10 so i got you know 10th birthday present yeah i got um a 30 odd six and my core course passed all that and that first fall we went out started mule deer hunting Mostly, uh, for the first few years, was able to take my first mule deer when I was 11 years old. Like that's, and then 13 we start going on moose trips, and we're going into the two-week backcountry and deep diving into that. Uh, but it was always mule deer and moose growing up. There was no nothing else, but it was what we what we looked forward to. It's what we dreamed about all year. It was there's nothing else we'd rather be doing is hunting fishing hanging out with the family it was it's where we wanted to be it's kind of like that right it's that legacy you know there's very few people that grow up in that hunting and fishing environment and they diverge from it right there's lots of people that come to it after the fact but very few people grow up with it and then they're like oh this, this i hate this or and lots of people maybe experience it and then they step away from it because they're busy getting married having kids going to school whatever the case may be but then a lot of people, most people come back to it. And I, I kind of went through that. Um, and then the other thing is it tends to be a legacy, right? And we've seen that. I see that with your family. So tell us about your family and about their involvement and what they are what they do and how that works. Oh, they're a bunch of little volunteers too. <laughs> um, both my kids now have their, their core courses and their pals. Uh, my daughter's 10, my son's 12. That was both their 10th birthday presents. They actually, my son snuck in just before COVID and was one of the last courses to go through. And he, luckily we got him in early. He was only nine at the time. Uh, then my daughter did the same thing this year, just before her 10th birthday. She went in, got her course. Uh, but they, since, since birth, basically, they've been in the bush with us. I got pictures of my son, three months old, minus... 14 we're out there deer hunting we actually had one heck of a trip here but uh that uh my wife's a rock she uh 
she comes along. She's bringing babies along with us. She she gets all the credit for that. I was out there hunting and doing all the fun stuff, and she's back in camp tending to to babies. Um, I, the the kids too. They just growing up with it. They've been wanting to be involved as much as possible. So even all the sheep counts we go on every. I think almost every count I've done now, I don't probably close to a dozen. I've had one of my kids with me each time, and they they love it. They there's nowhere else they would rather be. I don't think. You know, my my son's got motives. He wants the, the to see the animals on the landscape in the future, and you know my daughter's there because she's getting the junk food. So, <laughs> but. I don't, I'm not sure if she's so, 100% in the hunting, but she's she's there in the bush with us. She loves it. She loves the fun. That's awesome. So, Greg, you, you talk about, you know, this legacy or about your son wanting to carry on, make sure there's animals there for his kids and so forth or for him down, down the road. Is that something that you, you know, is this something that, you know, you only kind of got involved really aggressively more recently but it's something like, did you grow up with that uh, mindset from your father or how does that work? Yeah, we never, it was always, ne- never take, respect the wildlife, respect the land. Um, only really shoot what you need to fill the freezer and that was it. Like we would go on one deer trip, one moose trip. If the freezers were full, we stopped hunting. There was no, no excess hunting. It was you know, clean up while you're out in the bush too. You see see garbage, you pick it up, throw it in your pocket, leave it cleaner than you leave it cleaner than it was when you got there, kind of deal. And yeah, right on. Um, now you, you talked about your wife and and her coming along to being in camp. Um, from what I understand, she in the past, and I say in the past, but she she wasn't typically hunting. She'd be in camp, but she wasn't hunting. Am I correct? Yeah. So she was never she she had hunt. She didn't. She never even really been camping until we got started dating. So her her life got turned around <laughs> when, when I got involved. She, um, she had to, or not, shouldn't say had to, but she ended up getting her hunting license early. I, you know, kind of pushed her along and said, "This might something. This might be something you want to do. If we're gonna, if you want to see me in the fall, <laughs> you're probably gonna want a hunting license." So. <laughs> Yeah, so she she has well she didn't shoot anything until recently, but she's always been there. And when South Africa, she kind of made up for some some lack of shooting over the years, I'd say. Right on. So she never harvested a, an um, animal in North America. She hasn't killed a deer or anything like that. No, nothing. She'd be, she'd been on them uh, and sitting in tree stands and animals walking by, but unsure if they're big enough and you know. A lot of a lot of her hunting before kids. She was studying for university, so she was sitting there deep into her book. And you'd come back to camp, and there'd be deer tracks in the snow all around her. So you see those deer? Oh, no, no, didn't see the deer. It's like, oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've been there myself recently, actually. But uh, so okay, now let's talk a little bit. You mentioned Africa, so set the stage for us. Now I know you went on a trip recently, so. How did that come about? Where did you get the trip? How did you pick the outfitter? Tell us the whole story, kind of right from the very early on get go. Oh, well, there wasn't wasn't much picking of the outfitter. Um, picked it up at the Salute to Conservation online. Uh, 
for it was a 10-day hunt with Bozeveld Jacobs safaris in South Africa. Yeah, we, you know, sure due to COVID, not too many people were bidding, so it was, it was more of a deal. It couldn't couldn't pass up on. Um, yeah, I told the wife. I said, "It hey, looks like we're we never had an anniversary or, or no, honeymoon, so it's." I guess we're going to South Africa on our honeymoon a little 11 years too late, but it's, um, <laughs> how did she react to that? We're going to South Africa. Uh, you know what? She was more into it than I thought she would be. She was, she seemed, she was pretty excited from the get go actually. So that was, that was cool. Um, so there was no, no sugar coating what we were going to do there. We were going hunting and then, we were going to do some stuff after, but the, the main main focus was hunting while we were there. So you guys picked up the, the safari, and it was for two people, right? It was, uh, I think you guys bought a um, two, a package of two, two animal, or two people, eight animals or something like that? Something yeah, it was, was two it? for two people, 10 days, uh, six animals. So it was two wildebeest, two impala, and two warthog. And then that was all inclusive in the the ten days that included them coming to the airport in Johannesburg to pick us up, drive us out to camp in Valwater. Um, all food, beverages was included. They they took they take good care of you out there. There's no no question if you get an opportunity to bid on one of these hunts in an auction. Oh man, you gotta take a take up that opportunity for sure. So is this something that you've always wanted to do? Is it was Africa on the the bucket list, or was it kind of like, oh, this is a hell of a deal, I'm going to grab it? Or what? What? Tell us about because I know there's people their whole life that's all they've ever wanted to do is go to Africa. Or there's people that have done it, and that's all they ever do. They they they'll never go on a you know a sheep hunt in in the Yukon or Alaska or something, or they'll never do mouflon. They just want to go to Africa and hunt Africa species. How about you? It it was always something I've wanted to do. Um, but I never thought it was in the realm of possibilities financially. I'm just a, you know, my day job, I'm a construction worker in the lower mainland, living in the lower mainland money's not always there. Cause it's going into our million dollar mortgages for our shoe boxes that we live in. And, uh, and it was, you know, it was, it's something I wanted to do never really took it seriously and then that opportunity arose to buy the to buy that hunt and it would it had to jump on it there was no question and you guys kind of went like so this was during covid i know you just went a couple of months ago but uh you know how how did that all work out like i know people are even afraid to get on airplanes these days so you guys are traveling to a foreign country where covid was a problem in africa for year for like quite a while there right so how was that experience it was, it was, it was actually not bad. It, um, getting off the air, the airplane in Johannesburg, I guess there was some rules that changed while we were in the air. Luckily, being from Canada and we had a layover in the States, we had to be vaccinated to go into the, or not vaccinated, uh, negative test to go into the States. When we got to Johannesburg, there was we got there late. Our flight was delayed from leaving Newark, and we got into Johannesburg. And they uh, they changed that you needed a negative test to come into Johannesburg or into South Africa. So 
there was mostly Americans on the plane that didn't have to be tested to get on the plane when they had left. And 15 hours later in the air, they find out they needed a test when they got to the ground. So it was a bit of a chaos in the airport. Everyone had gone home because we'd got there late. Uh, if there's a little obvious language barriers. And then, yep, everyone was getting turned around, sent back for testing. Luckily, we uh, ran into someone that could translate and they got us. They're like, no, you're fine. You can, you just go through, you've got your test, you're from Canada. It's not a big deal. So we f flew, f flew through, but get to that uh, baggage carousel. <laughs> Watch that thing spin around for a while and no, no bags on it. That, uh, that made the start of the trip even more interesting, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, that was some fun text I was getting. But mm. you, you didn't bring a rifle, though, right? You rented, so you saved that chaos. Yeah, we didn't we didn't uh, bring a rifle. We rented. As, it was cheap. It was like $25 a day. No hassle to get your rifle across. And if it's what they're, they're using, you know it's going to be good because they, they're not getting paid unless you shoot something over there. So they're... There's no money transfer until you actually kill something. It's not you pay and then go. It's you go, you kill it, and then you pay. So that that was, we trusted the rifle. That wasn't a big deal. But it was all of our hunting stuff. Uh, we just went, you know, blind in one bag. I had my camera with me in my backpack and a, a jacket and a pair of socks because I get sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> the, the old lady, she only had her little day bag with a, a change of clothes, and that was our attire for hunting in South Africa for a, the first week. <laughs> so your bags showed up after a week, is that right? Yeah, I think they got there about, it was three or four days after we had landed, and then they had to uh, uh, rein the owner of the outfit. He actually ended up taking care of all of it and got them shipped out to Valwater, to his personal residence and then um one of the days we were out towards his house or we had to drive past his house back to camp so we, we ended up getting our bags there but yeah it was day day seven of no luggage but we had laundry every every day so that was nice we just needed an extra shirt extra shorts extra underwear and they they took care of us there very well so is the best part of the experience the hunting? Is it the lodge? Is it the food? Is it the people? What is there anything that stands out? And I wanted you to talk me through the whole experience or talk us through the whole experience. But what what really stands out for you like, when you think about back on it? Oh, it, there's a bunch of things. The people were amazing. Um, we're welcomed into their homes. Basically, we were family by the time we left. We met, you know, the the wives of the professional hunters came out to camp had dinner with us were introduced to their kids um one of the phs that was there his wife plays professional sports we're watching her on tv sitting around at the end of the day um but the the, the food the food was top notch there was no question we had personal chef the entire time uh there's never Never any worries with the food. It was like we were eating five star. The accommodations were incredible. Well, we had our own chalet, we kitchen, bathroom, couch, fire, a loft. We just relaxed to our get our own little 
private area away from the lodge. We ended up we were the only two people that there that week, which or the first week anyways. And normally they've got like up to eighteen people, and we were the only two, so we got a little bit of extra special preference or treatment. Um, but when when you're there too, you're like you're not going up to a bartender and trying to get a drink from them or trying to find somewhere to pick up your water. It's just go in the kitchen, help yourself. Go behind the bar, help yourself. Go to the fridge, do whatever you want. And the aside from you know the, the lodging and the food and the people. You gotta say something about the wildlife. The abundance of wildlife in South Africa was incredible. Like it was better than expected. You know, we get this picture painted for us on TV back home where you're not gonna see anything, everything's going extinct, everything's endangered. And then uh you know, we we get there and the the first day we got there at lunch into camp and we go out after lunch and you just see right off the bat like 15 minutes after sighting and rifles we see a herd of wildebeest and then we're seeing giraffe and we're seeing blastbok and zebras and, and everywhere we went it was like that they were just every around every corner there was a herd of animals no matter where we went it was it was surreal it was like uh watching the lion king growing up <laughs> animals everywhere so so one thing you you see on tv and and social media is if you go to South Africa, it's, it's not safe. It, how did you feel there? Did you feel that uh, you were relatively safe or paint that picture? We had no, we had no moments where we would have been in an unsafe situation or felt unsafe. Um, we didn't like, I'd say when we landed in Johannesburg, we leaving the airport, we got in a shuttle, we went to our hotel for the night, didn't see anybody. You know, the first thing you kind of see is every house has walls. There's concrete walls around them with barbed wire on top. And it's like, oh, that's a little bit eerie. Um, and then when we went uh, on the way to the camp, we stopped in Pretoria at the only hunting store. You know, and it's their big hunting store. It's like the hunting section at canadian tire it's just this couple of aisles and that's their their big store in the hunting mecca but uh the the parking lot had armed guards so that was you start noticing it but it's never in your face like you see a couple of guys walking around with guns and that was it every everybody you know has open carry over there there's handguns on everyone's hips there was but there was never a moment where we felt unsafe there's you know, I'm sure there's a lot of neighborhoods you wouldn't want to go into at night, but we're in the middle of the woods. So it's, once we left that that store, we drove three hours from Pretoria to Valwater. And then really our only interactions with the general public after that were a couple of times at gas stations. And then, you know, Kruger Park, we went there at the end and that was the same. It was, you check your, the, the guide has to check his gun and at the gate and it gets uh, wire locked and you go into the park and it's just like any other tourist mecca there's just people everyone's hanging out it's normal coffee shops restaurants but yeah we never we never saw the anything else really in south africa like you see their government housing and but you're just driving by it on the highway we never went into any neighborhoods or 
for animals. So you talked about all this this abundance, I guess, and we talk about biodiversity here in BC. I think they they maybe trumped us over there, but. Uh, uh, what was there one that stands out? I, I've seen tons of pictures and, you know, obviously for anyone that knows anything about you, you're a very accomplished photographer and you do a great job. But, uh, the ones that stand out for me are, are your, your elephant pictures are freaking cool, man. But is there anything that stands out for you species wise that you're like, holy crap, that was amazing. I would say lions. I was not expecting, like we know, we know they're big. You see them in zoos or you you see them down in the MGM in Vegas. Like, you know they're a big animal, but in the wild, you hear that little bit of a growl, and you feel it through your bones. From We had a, a mating pair of lions there on one side of the bush, and we're on the other side of the bush. And, you know, he was, wasn't happy. There's people nearby. And every time he would let out a growl or a roar, it was like, whoa, that thing... It's just head to toe chills through your body. Um, we had an, like we had some close calls and or not close calls, close encounters in Kruger, which was really neat. But uh, the one moment that really stood out, we never even got to see them. Uh, my wife, she shot her wildebeest, and right after the shot, we can hear Pride of Lions popping off in the background, and it's kind of like that's the stories you hear here of grizzly bears running towards gunshots because it's dinner bells in it no different over there you just you hear uh, probably a kilometer or so away you just hear the roars it's like oh they're excited <laughs> never they seen them they know what's <laughs> coming yeah uh, so Bosvel jacobs uh i know that there there's a number of uh, conservation organizations um uh midwest uh, wild sheep foundation uh they do a ton of um hunts through them um, obviously we've used them for a couple of years now they got a great reputation um, and the one thing I've heard from people that have gone to Africa through them have always talked about how they work with the the different um, uh, I guess uh, local uh, you know feeding the locals and stuff like that did you guys experience any of that or was there any dialogue with that around from Rayon? Yeah, we, we knew about it uh, we knew found out a little bit late um, if you know about it before you go there you can actually jump on at the end of a, your trip or part of your trip is you can go and take the meat, the meat to an orphanage and meet the kids and see. So they, they donate to the orphanages. I think there's, there's one or two. Um, and then they also give off meat back to the elderly. And I didn't, uh, Rian, he never spoke about it while we were there, but at one of his, uh, uh PHs, Drian, he was saying during COVID when, you know, South Africa wasn't hunting and it was all shut down, uh, Bosfeld Jacobs was out hunting so they can, and paying for these animals, they had to buy them off landowners and they're donating the meat to keep the, not obviously not as much as the hunters would be providing, but they were still digging out of their own pockets and providing to the orphanages and the elderly during hard times. Like they, they went, I think almost two years without a single client and they were still forking money over out of their pockets. That's phenomenal. Yeah. I've just heard such incredible things about, you know, the work that they do. And first of all, the hunt experience has been, you know, the reports have been phenomenal. And then on top of the work that they do with the local communities and what they support. So, 
So, you know, we, we I've never been to Africa. Um, Steve's never been there. He keeps saying he's going to go, but uh, he hasn't. Um, so, you know, for for you having been there now and you've seen it, you've been on the ground there and everyone talks about, oh, hunting is conservation and, you know, hunting in Africa does get a bad rap. It's all trophy hunting and blah, blah, blah. Tell us a little bit about your experience there and, and don't tell us about the bullshit from the books, like what it was really like and your experience about being there and on the ground in Africa. Oh, so the, yeah, the, 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 the hunting is conservation is, I would, no truer words have been spoken when it comes to, to South Africa. They've, they've monetized all their animals. Every animal has a price tag above its head. There's no public land or no real public land. So they can't go hunting there. Uh, so all the animals are on these vast properties, you know, 100,000 acre properties that are mountainous, you know, hike for two days, don't see the edge of it kind of deal. And they're out there during the winter, so when it's starting to get wet, the wet season, they're out there feeding them, uh, maintaining the, the populations, keeping them healthy. So when you shoot an animal, uh, they've a, they've got a predetermined uh, number with the, the landowners. And so you shoot an animal... Say it's a thousand bucks, you know, the the hunter gives that to the the outfit and then the, they split that up with the landowner and then their team. But you know, there's a there's a huge trickle down effect and that's something I don't know, like twenty sixteen there was hundred and fifty million dollars put into the economy US in just in South Africa between the three provinces they studied. And uh, you know it, the landowner, he's got to pay the people that maintain his land, maintain his equipment, you know, gas, you know, everything to keep a giant property, road maintenance, all of that. So that that money goes to those people, but then the money that comes to the camp, you know, we've got your professional hunter, your outfitter, all the guides. There's cooks, cleaners, uh, skinners, trackers. Just a, a number of people, even the people maintaining the lodge. That you know, you got a trickle down effect. One animal's feeding, you know, twenty people just to start, and then there's a trickle down from there because wherever they spend their money, and you know, a lot of the the native people there, they have more than one wife, more than a bunch of children. Like there's there's a lot of people that rely on hunting, and it was apparent. From what I was told while I was there, it was devastating during COVID there. Like there was, it was absolute chaos with people trying to feed their families that relied on the hunting, the hunting community to, to provide. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And, and, you know, there's so much we could talk about and Steve would, I know he'd love to get into it, but putting value on wildlife, right? And, uh, but that's a whole podcast in itself. And maybe we have you back to talk about that. And then, you know, one of the things I hear a lot of is that, well, that the food doesn't like that the meat doesn't feed people in Africa. It's bullshit. That that's not true. But I, it seems to me that it's very true. And and anyone that's been there, they they claim that it's so important. Well, and every property we went to, so there's, I want to say maybe four or five we hunted. Wherever we took it, wherever we killed an animal, the hunt would either. Either you would go hiking with the the professional hunters after the animal was back to the the vehicle. So some of the times we would go, or the and then the tracker and the skinner, 
would take the vehicle and the animal and they would go to a skinning shed which had a cooler on every property so there was always a rush to get the animal back to where you can get it into a cooler and keep the meat proper and they we like we've seen it the whole time we were there it was proper field care of the animal it was keeping the meat clean uh every uh, the the lodge we were at they had their own butcher shop but every every property had a cooler for these animals to go into so they would still be edible it wasn't nothing nothing was laid to waste they all had their horror stories of their 10 mile packs trying to get a buffalo off a mountain kind of deal and it's it's like oh let's not shoot something up there but (laughs) yeah for sure so now when you when you met with um you know the owner was there uh rayon he's the owner and then uh you talked about your ph did they ever talk about any of these rules that you know from the uk or the us or these different rulings has it has there been any impacts on their business or anything like that they ever talk about that yeah we we a lot of random conversations happen while you're hunting as you guys know so you're spending a lot of time with people and 10 days with someone you you tend to learn about them and they learn about you and you learn about stuff that was random but yeah we, we dove into politics um and they they had a lot of negative things to say um you know the the u.s is hurt hurting them right now with all their uh, import regulations for animals um but then yeah i think yeah the uk ban trophy hunting the same similar uh, yeah they 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 took big hits during like right after those announcements it's immediate impact basically for them they'll have people okay i can't bring that animal home i'm not coming anymore and then mm-hmm. you're you're stuck you got a big camp to to serve and they're not making money off of that. They had some some strong political views. I shouldn't, don't think we should dive into in the air. But there's, you know, just like any of us, if you're you're fed up, you're gonna say stuff. I'm sure some of us have said stuff in the private about our own government. But like they're, yeah, they were very outspoken, and they're in, they're between a rock and a hard place for a lot of that stuff. It's really really affecting their lives. Yeah, we saw it saw it here in 2017 with losing the grizzly, right? That affected way more than just face value. You can only imagine when what's happening when you you're you're not just losing one animal, you're losing a whole country's worth, right? It's that's pretty, yeah. pretty freaking scary. Yeah, and a lot of them are just unfounded based on emotion type of things. Like you hear everyone talk about the giraffe, like that like I didn't shoot a giraffe. I was that was never on my list. Um, it's, you know, it's too much money for a guy like me. <laughs> but you go to these places, the drafts are everywhere. Every corner, every property, everywhere we went, we seen drafts. There was one day we seen over 100 drafts. We had a one, we were at one lookout, and we're glassing over a river valley the one morning, and I can count 17 drafts just from one spot. And that was the, the you know, you see the odd, odd, uh, hippo or whatnot in the river valley but you know out in those trees you just see all these heads popping up and that's only what you can see if there's young ones around you wouldn't have been able to see them through those trees hmm. how many animals did you end up harvesting over there yourself uh myself it would be what we yeah no it was it was seven so it was six 
And then there was a yeah a mercy kill from there was an injured Impala that we shot that we ended up bringing over to the farmer and gave him the meat. He he asked if there's to see an injured animal, you shoot it. But I ended up with a wildebeest, a warthog, an Impala, a blessbok, a kudu, a bush pig, and then my wife had a wildebeest. Impala and Warthog. So that that was her first kill, wasn't it? Her first kill was a Warthog. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't far, like 50 yards or something, but she had to stand there on the sticks waiting. So you can see her start to shake. And, like, it was a good five minutes. We had to wait for the right shot. And, you know first animal warthog that she had to wait for already got the shakes she she nailed it and didn't go very far problem is it goes into six foot high grass and you got to (laughs) walk out there and try to find something what's the style of hunting is it spot and stock is it baited is it uh blinds or what so you can do all of it um majority of our hunting was spot and stock uh you know drive around on the the truck we sit on the back of the truck you see an animal across the valley and you let the truck take off and you hide in the grass and try to crawl up through six foot high grass or sneak through trees hike up mountains like it it was pretty where we were was very similar to to how i hunt here which was nice a lot of mountains um and valley bottoms so if you've seen them across the valley you're trying to sneak up but you're and you're blowing it because you got no cover and we time it well with the the animals going up into the mountains during the day to rest and then come back down to the valley bottom at night so you time it and you get them near the mountains which was a lot lot easier to to figure out where they were going and how to cut them off because you had the the landscape you can work with and the all the trees were kind of lining the valley bottom so just the bottom of the mountains where we were so you would get you know 50 yard swath of trees to to use to your advantage so what was that experience like for your wife the first for her taking her first animal like you, you know you've been around it with your kids you watched your, your your son take an animal but for your wife and to be around it and to experience all this and then you know yeah what, what was that like i think i was more emotional than she was um you know that that first animal is it's I remember it still from 11, the emotions that I ran through, but, you know, I I don't know. I'm assuming a lot of those emotions would be more powerful in an adult, especially, you know, being being 35, taking her first animal. Or is she 35? She might be 34. I don't know. But I don't want to get in trouble on that one. Um, but the uh, she, you can definitely see the emotion coming through actually a little bit of excitement because we the dogs go under the grass and you can't see and then the dogs start start yipping off right away and you don't know if it's an angry warthog or a dead warthog see so you, you get out there and you you know your your motions while you're walking through the grass are playing like holy shit everyone's kind of running through the grass too blind in a a, a field you get up to it and you know she you could tell she had she took a moment 
I'm sure we talked about it a little bit, but everyone had. I th- well, I'm assuming everyone sees it a little bit differently, but we're very similar. Where it's, you know, you're never happy that you took the life, but you're happy of everything around it. So you got that first moment, like, oh, that's the first thing I killed. You know, that's a living animal. That that emotion's running through you. But then there's also the excitement of your first animal, the excitement of the adventure, the excitement of all the work that's gone into it, everything that's going to come. It all just comes into that one big ball of emotion that, you know, you could you could feel. And you could definitely feel the energy offer for sure after that. Very cool. Um, okay, so let's segue off Africa for a bit and let's talk about Wild Sheep BC. So... Um, what's going on in BC with the society? Oh dear, there's a whole <laughs> whole bunch of stuff. You guys got the Jurassic Classic coming up. I got a sheep count that same weekend. <laughs> dealing with uh, counting through the summers, dealing with the Movi up on the Fraser River. So that's been fun one for many years. We got to try to get behind and need more people to pay attention to. It seems to be only a handful of us that care about the sheep or are willing to do something about the sheep anyways so for you there's there's lots of different things you're involved in with the society and there's lots of different facets there's fundraising there's projects like the list goes on and on communications a whole bunch of stuff right what what tends to be your passion like what stands out for you like and obviously you you, you lead the counts so obviously that's probably part of it but when you think about the society and the work you're doing what do you get excited about you know, it's the the people getting out there, getting hands on, um, meeting new people, trying to educate people on sheep. Uh, you know, having people bring their kids out with them, and you can see the passion in their eyes. And you know, watching someone see that first sheep through their spotting scope, and that 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 kind of drives me is all the feeding feeding off everybody's energy. The like it just makes you want to get up and keep going. You can tell there's a strong group of people that are really passionate about what we do. And those people are always nice to really tie into. Um, yeah, it's, I'd, I'd say the hands-on is, as much as possible is it's definitely what drives it. And seeing, doing the counts really helps because you're seeing direct. Like you're not seeing a picture. You're not hearing in an article or from your buddy saying yeah i saw some sheep on the highway it's like oh you went up there and you seen lambs running around or and you're seeing lambs not running around in a lot of places so it's a it's a easy thing you can join and volunteer for and get out there and actually do do something about that a lot of people kind of downplay it but you know that counts really important it, it shows what we've done yeah, it's interesting because we've always done the Spence's bridge sheep count. And, you know, that pre-COVID, I think we had 110 people out for that. It was incredible, like just amazing. And then, but then we had to start going a little further up into the Fraser and doing these counts, which arguably this is even more important. Spence is important, but the Fraser is critically important. Yeah. And and maybe touch on why it's so important, Greg. What Why is it that, and you've been a big part of this, so you know, maybe share with our listeners why why it's really critical to get those counts in. Well, so in, for the those of you who don't know, in the winters, uh, we've done it 
a couple times now we've gone through in the winter and we're we're not personally but you know we're helping organize and fund and do everything we can to play a role and go and capture test sheep and uh check them for movi so it's a little rapid test similar to covid you know i'm sure covid actually made that product better for us there wasn't no there's no more putting the sheep to sleep it's you just net them give them a little swab and you find out pretty quickly if it's sick or not and then we collar sheep and then we have when you got to treat the sick sheep um and then we go out once they start lambing and start checking on lamb recruitment um just gotta and then we go back three to four times once a month just to see you know the first month we may have seen 10 lambs we we'll want to see what's there the second month because you'll know really quickly if there's a problem and you're not going to see all the sheep the whole time and they're in their little herds they might have never crossed paths and there could be lambs that aren't sick in one herd and a kilometer down the river there's lambs that are sick or lambs that aren't there anymore yeah so getting that baseline and, and knowing you know what kind of um if the lambs are making it through the summer that's really important um to know and, and it, it is a reflection like it's not a true reflection of whether or not they have movie but if there's no lambs and you see all the ewes odds are they and they were there earlier it's there's probably been a die-off because it tends to be the the lambs that are dying right yeah and they're dying quick and horribly i i've had the I don't even know how you'd word that the misfortune of seeing a sick lamb and it's it sucks you think of just a, a helpless creature that doesn't know what's going on you know you got a sick person you can comfort them you can give them medicine you got a sick sheep that's out there coughing until it basically drowns in its own mucus it's it's terrible yeah there's a video couple of years ago I, I don't know if it was chris barker or mike selden videoed uh a ram or an you can't remember what it was but about 30 40 yards just hacking its guts out and there's nothing you could do that that sheep didn't care that there was a person there it was just a, a sitting target so yeah it's it's pretty brutal to watch what it does yeah yeah definitely it's yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, so now uh, you you said you've been on the board for a couple of years, which you have, and uh, we've had this whole COVID stuff going on. We've had all our shows canceled. Um, did you get a normal show? Were you there in 2019? Uh, I don't know. I didn't know you well back then. So I the yeah the year before COVID, I was there just as a spectator, throwing my money at all the raffles and trying to buy stuff that I shouldn't have been trying to buy and, <laughs> and you know not spending money having a good time um <laughs> the uh yeah i was i got i got there and then the, the second year i was on the road uh i believe it was steve called me and said that show's canceled we're not doing it i still showed up in Kamloops, spent the weekend there <laughs> yep <laughs> yep yeah, fortunately, haven't had a haven't had the pleasure of being part of the show from the organizing or volunteering aspect yet. Looking, f- but you did attend it as a guest, like in in previous years. Yeah, so. yeah, I got the one the one year, yeah. and that was that's what sucked me into the whole 
the whole thing. Well, and, and that's the, the thing for me too, is it's just such a great environment and there's such, you know, good people, like-minded people, and it's just a good time. It's not, yeah, it's just a different vibe and such a cool feeling to be part of the shows. And it's something that we're really missing. Um, and I can't wait. I, I think it's going to happen this year. So we, we've, cons- we've confirmed our dates. So we've got the, uh, Northern fundraiser on February 4th. And then uh, we've got Kamloops, our convention AGM for March uh, 10th through 12th, I think it is. Um, so it's going to be a pretty pretty epic time. It's going to be good to get together finally and see everybody. So. Yeah, it's definitely going to be nice to be in person, getting a taste of it down in Reno, being the first show back. That was something <laughs> so made me itching for our show for sure yeah especially the uh the covid test to come back you had a great experience with that right standing in the drive-thru <laughs> yeah. yeah they didn't tell me that when i booked that test go stand in uh, the reno sun and walk through a drive-thru covid <laughs> covid swab <laughs> center a little unconventional but uh hey you got it done yeah. so that's uh that's all that matters made so. it home um Cool. Okay, so let's uh, let's segue a little bit to uh, what's the plan for the. So um, obviously you're on the board of directors. So you've obviously killed several sheep to be. You know, if you're going to get voted on the board, you obviously have killed all these sheep, yeah. right? It's funny. What's what's that uh, ridiculous Instagram page? And they they make fun of different groups, and they're like, um, yeah, going to the Wild Sheep Society BC show to learn from all the board of directors that have so much experience and realizing that nobody on the boards ever killed a sheep, yeah. obviously jokingly, but there's, there's lots of experience there, but Hey, we're about putting sheep on the mountains, not taking them off. Yeah. I, so. I you know, I'm pretty good at hunting them with a camera. I just, it's, I've never, I've only had a couple of sheep hunts under my belt and, and one turned caribou and goats and just, you get, get sidetracked. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, that joking aside, what's the plan for the fall? What are you what are you doing this year for uh, for a fall hunt? I'm gonna take it take it a little easier than normal. Usually, I go on a a couple week long trip somewhere north, dedicated to moose, caribou, sheep, or goats. Um, this year, it's just gonna take advantage of the long weekends. Maybe add a couple days here and there, and really focus on trying to get my kids there their first year my son's two years in a row he's just come up short on both years were actually five by four muleys he just couldn't the one year he couldn't see it and then the other year he just didn't he didn't get the shot opportunity but it would be i'd really love to see him uh fill his dreams almost like that guy kids living and breathing the outdoors and hunting he's He's already surpassed me. He's riding his bike down to the river fishing every day. But And then if we can get him a deer, it would be really nice to get my daughter a deer. She's got uh, some mobility issues, so we have some things to work through there. But you know, we'll be figuring out stand hunting and shooting off a tripod. And it will be interesting. No, it's, you know, I'm not much of a stand hunter. so It's Brooklyn's year. She'll get one. Yeah. Hopefully she shows up her brother. And, oh, definitely yeah, will. Yeah, this year seems to be all about the the kids. Uh, my son plays football, so when, on his days off, we'll be out there trying to seal the deal and create some new memories. That's awesome, man. I think you and Steve got out last year together. You guys did a fly-in, didn't you? Yep, yep. Steve uh, 
joined the party of Ren's Megs in the, the backwoods there and learned a thing or two about <laughs> different people. <laughs> How to pick a rock. Yep. Yep. Where's the perfect rock? That's the that's, that's the, the key to this whole thing. Yep. And interesting enough, you went hunting with Steve and you've sworn off you're never going again. You're staying home and hunting with your kids yeah, now. One, one trip with Steve and here I am. I'm not going on a backcountry hunt or no no more planes, especially when you're stuck in a tent with that guy. Holy. Oh, yeah, it was terrible that night I woke up and you guys are looking at me at four in the morning going, what the hell is he doing? Saving, I thought you are dancing. Yeah, saving your life. Like the whole tent, like the, 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 uh, the baffle had fallen in the the tent in the in the stove and i woke up to take a leak or whatever and i hadn't got up at like nine of the days to take a leak and i decided to that night and i couldn't see in front of my face this it was just so full of smoke so four in the morning whatever it was the sun's just starting to peak up i'm fanning the the vent or the the vent of the the tent to not have everybody die in the snow and rain and whatever was coming down, they're looking at me like, what are you doing? Then they realized that they couldn't really see or breathe. So, yeah. Yeah. They realized it wasn't dark out. It was just dark in the tent. Yeah. It was, it was creepy. <laughs> like there was a lot of smoke, but we just thought Steve was getting up crazy. to have a dance off and it I'm, might've been, but <laughs> was, was the other seven days before that. But <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good times. Uh, Oh goodness. Yeah. Yeah, cool. But you guys ended up you guys killed a moose on that trip, I think. Eh? Yes. Yeah. yeah, we two yeah, we got two moose. Um uh, my brother and dad got one and Steve and I got one together. <laughs> the- yeah. The one you and I got was uh, a hell of a story though. Uh, we just I, don't know, I was on the, the top of the, the knoll and Steve was a little bit down and we knew there had been a bull moose that had crossed the lake. As my my dad let us know on the the GPS, but there's a pretty good lag, so like we got there's a moose in the lake heading this direction. And we we bebopped a couple kilometers back down to it, and then get another message. It's in the trees. Well, little did we know that in the trees was already was sent an hour before we even got there, and. You know, we did a little bit of calling. Uh, so Steve was down kind of towards the lakeside. I called and turned around, and the 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 bull was standing uh, fifty yards from me, best. looking for a fight, at head best. on, yeah, grunt, gr- grunting and raking at me. Yeah, I I was just below Greg. Like I could kind of see the top of his head. We could kind of sign to each other. We were then what fifteen yards of each other. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, and we could hear this thing come out come out of the bush snotting and snorting breathing so heavy you're just ready to fight and you didn't you have the safety on when you pulled the trigger the first time there was no something. i i had the uh my scope was still set on that's 14 what it was. power for that's what it was shooting. yeah there was something else and i could kept pulling up the gun i put pointed i'm like i can't find it put it down look at it put it up <laughs> still can't find it i'm like it's right here looking down the side of the barrel i'm like ah oh. and then just one of yeah, one of those stupid moments. You look down at the power, like oh, yeah, <laughs> dial it down, pull the trigger, drop it. It's just yeah. like, you know, it's yeah, almost just, almost lost a moose because I <laughs> my yeah, scope set. Yeah, the angle. That's I was a lesson at. for everybody. Turn it yeah. down before you yeah. go out. Angle I was at, I couldn't see it, but I could hear it, and I was like, okay, if this thing takes him down, I 
just going to watch. I can't do squat, but it got up to it. And did that thing was big. Like it was an old regressed bowl. Like the rack wasn't huge, but it maybe if you wanted to measure tines had three, maybe just cause it was so rounded, right? There was no definite points on it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It was pr- pretty baldy, tall, tall and lanky. It was definitely a big boy back in the day. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He was, but yeah, he's, that then we we just had the guts where we could see them at about 400 yards from our our napping post <laughs> we're sitting up, we could see the whole whole valley but uh there were there was something on it right we couldn't we could see the way the birds would just spook away from it and yeah we never could see yeah, what it was but there was something we'd like no we're not gonna go look yeah because we well, saw we knew grizzlies. The, yeah we saw quite a few big grizzlies and there was fresh wolf tracks in our tracks more than once yeah. Is that right? Eh? Yeah, cool. That's that's a good trip. When you see that stuff, it's a good trip oh, yeah. for sure. Um so what's on the agenda for so that we know this year you're locally are you you got a trip plan coming up? You you want to get after sheep or just not a real priority? Um it's not really a priority for me right now. Um if I get the opportunity to head out, it'll be a solo hunt for a weekend kind of deal, but nice. Oh, no, I said it's Football starts beginning of September. These games every Saturday, so it kind of burn it up. But I've missed enough of that over the past few years. So we'll be doing weekend day trips and watching football until next year. Next until fall. next year. Next fall. No, next next <laughs> next year could be busy. There's rumors of a possible uh, turkey hunt and down south. There's Here's rumors the- of a an alligator hunt down south and a hog hunt down south and a fly-in come September. So there's yeah. there's all these options next year. Yeah. That plane may or may not have been booked the minute we landed last year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a plane ride with our names on it. So Awesome. Right on, Greg. Well, hey, I know I'm taking a bunch of your uh, Tuesday night here away from the family, and uh, but uh, just I just – I know Steve will agree with me. You just appreciate all you do for the society. You ton of heavy lifting, buddy. Uh, by the way, where's your challenge going? Son of a! <laughs> oh, it's the nice. one time it's Kyle's got like it. Fifteen feet away from me in a oh, wall. Hold on, hold on. There you go. I got Greg's. Yeah, yeah. I can. Oh <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm, no. I'm, He's yeah, I'm beer, fifteen buddy. feet away from probably a dozen challenge coins. Ours and foundations and Albertas. And <laughs> Ouch. Awesome. Right on, Greg. Well, I appreciate you, bud, uh, all you do. And uh, it was good to catch up. And yeah, we there's there was about 100 topics we could have dove into today. But uh, appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. And appreciate all the hard work you do. And look forward to more great things coming from you in the future. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys.